0: Hello, this is Kevin McMullen, Senior Pastor of Independence Christian Center. Thanks for joining us as we break the bread of life today. Our prayer is that your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is strengthened by this word. God bless you. All right. Okay. We're continuing our series on the gifts of the Spirit, and we will get to the gifts of the Spirit within the next couple of weeks. <laughs> Because we are in the process, what I'm doing is I'm cutting, I'm cutting down the brush around the tree to get to the tree, because there's a lot of other stuff that goes into this. Because and the reason I'm teaching on the gifts of the Spirit is because I believe that we're already seeing them begin to manifest among the people, among His people, among you, and that is something I believe we will see intensify and increase as we go into the next phase. Remember what we, the Lord showed us back in 2019, that we were in a period of acceleration and of humongous, ginormous, unbelievable change in the world. And we have seen all of those things happening. And, you know, again, it would be very easy and very discouraging to look at everything that is happening and say you know man the devil is just on a tear and everything the fact of the matter is that our father is firmly in control and he is and and getting getting um world events to go exactly where he knows he wants them to be and how he knows redemptively etc and i know when i look at it i say this must be like herding cats but God knows how to herd cats, because he made them, amen. So we'll start with Matthew chapter 11. I'm gonna read verse 12 first. I'm reading from the New International Version 1985, because this is the only version, and it was that only particular one that got it, in my estimation, right. It, it says this, when uh, what had happened, put, put it within context. The disciples of John the Baptist had come to Jesus at John's behest and asked him the question, are you the coming one or do we look for someone else? And after Jesus had answered them, and we're going to go back to that answer in just a minute, as they were going away, Jesus said, paid John some compliments. But then he said, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing And forceful men lay hold of it. The King James Version, the New American Standard, and I believe even the newest NIV, renders it from the days of John the Baptist until now. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. That word translated suffers violence is a word that is translated there in the passive. Suffers violence It's the passive form. But if you translate it as the middle form which is ex- which is spelled exactly the same way. And the only thing that tells a translator whether it is middle or passive, in fact it's even called middle passive. And it's up to the translator, it's up to the reader to decide exactly which one is 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 called which rendering is called for at that point. And I am translating and as the NIV85 did The kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing is the middle voice that says the kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing in its own interest. Now, the reason I believe that that is the way it should be rendered is because when the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus earlier in the chapter, verses four, we're going to read verses four through six, Jesus replied, verse four, go back And report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away or stumble on account of me. That sounds like the kingdom of heaven forcefully advancing. That is the kingdom of God running over the enemy, meeting every need. And so again, to say the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing breaks. No rules of grammar and is perfectly acceptable as an alternative rendering, even though it changes the sense of it dramatically. What I want you to notice, and in line with what we're teaching on the gifts of the Spirit, that Jesus gives six things as proof to John of his messiahship. Now let's take half a second there. What does the Hebrew word Mashiach, from which we get our word Messiah, mean? It means anointed one. What does the word Christos, from which we get the word Christ, it is the Greek translation of Mashiach and it means the anointed one and so Jesus is saying look I am the anointed one look at what the anointing is doing of the six things that he named five of them were spectacularly supernatural let's go back and look at that the blind receive sight The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. Now, do not take an enlightenment view and read this as metaphor. In other words, the blind receive sight. People who were ignorant are receiving insight. And the lame walk, those whose walk was messed up are are learning to walk straight. No, 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 no. This is literal. Literally, blind people are receiving their sight. Literally, lame people, people who could not walk are now walking. Literally, people who had leprosy are now clean. And those who could not hear now are, have hearing. And the dead are raised. One of the worst things you can do to your faith is interpret those things to do away with the supernatural. Supernatural. One of the things that the now, when I made reference to the Enlightenment, some of the guys like Rudolf Bultmann and Schleiermacher and Lessing and all those guys, Gerhard Lessing, all those guys, back during the Enlightenment, they thought that they were going to save the church and keep the church relevant by taking all that uh, Bultmann called it, demythologizing the Bible. He said, Old Testament, I mean, the New Testament and Old Testament writers. Wrote of miracles that didn't actually happen. Jesus didn't really walk on the water, but it is a story. It is a myth uh, that that portrays a principle, and that's the way you would say. Well, the blind receive sight. Well, that doesn't mean that they actually received you know literal sight. It, it, It means that you know they gained insight and people who were ignorant and everything and like, oh, I see the light, you know, kind of thing. But and, and so they demythologized. That that's what he did is he went through and he would tell you that the gospel is like a nut. And that you have to peel away the mythology. In other words, the miracle, the, the, the account of the miracle in order to get to the, the nut, you know, like an almond or a, you know, a pecan or something like that, which was. The principle that the myth of the miracle was intending to convey. He was the nut. <laughs> yeah. And one of my professors, a, a God fearing Methodist in uh, my uh, one of my classes in, in uh, seminary said the problem with that viewpoint is that the gospel is not a nut. The gospel is an onion. And when you start peeling away all the layers of the onion, pretty soon you are left with nothing. Because the miracles are part and parcel of the character, the move and the intention of God. Hallelujah. And when we start saying things like God doesn't do things like that. If we adopt a cessationist viewpoint. What is a cessationist viewpoint? It comes from the word cease. They are they have ceased. They have, you know, they have, uh, we we believe that they've ceased and that God doesn't do those miracles. You are not going to believe for this. And if you're not believing for it, guess what? It ain't going to happen. It's as simple as that. He is the anointed one. And if we are expecting a move of God, and I know you are, I would say, I don't know about you, but I do know about you. And I I do know about you, and you know about me, if I expect God to move and the kingdom of heaven to forcefully advance, this is what Jesus said to look for. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. We can look for at least that much, and I think those are just a small representative sampling of the numerous things, the multitude of things that God really desires to do. We could stop right there and dance all the way home. Amen. The fact of the matter is need. Now hear me. Need is not enough. There is no shortage of true, legitimate, heart-rending needs out there. When I see the stuff that's going on in Sri Lanka and other places where people cannot feed their children... Folks, that'll just rip your heart right out of you. And don't tell me God doesn't see that because he does. The curse and sin brought that to the earth. The world is in pathetic shape and it's becoming more pathetic by the minute. People are suffering. That suffering is intensifying and it's spreading. And don't think it can't come to the United States because it's already here. God although we'll just change the definitions and that way nobody will 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 notice, right? God is not insensitive to this these needs. God has mac uh, has miraculous provision for everything, but he moves by faith. Only faith guarantees Think about the pool of Bethesda when Jesus came there, it says there were a multitude of blind and lame people, people with all manner of you know blood diseases and everything under the sun going on there, waiting for a stirring of the waters and john's gospel has a has a a variant that they've included that. They say well this was these weren't in the original the earliest manuscripts no but there was enough of the story in there that that explains what they were doing there that an angel at certain times would come down and stir the water and whoever got into the water first was healed of whatever his disease was and there was all these people there lying around it says a multitude now you and I probably think of a multitude in a little different way than perhaps they would then a multitude to them probably was 40 or 50 people And there might be 40. And if you understand, if you've ever seen uh, the pool of Bethesda, the way it was was designed, there was plenty of room there. And Jesus walks up to this one guy and says, would you be made whole? And he offers excuses. And this guy had no faith at all. And yet God, through either the working of miracles, and I think it was the working of miracles. It could have been the gifts of healings, but I think it was the working of miracles. Judging by the text, he said, take up your pallet and go home. And the man was instantly healed. That is a miraculous manifestation of the Holy Spirit, even upon someone who is not believing as a sign, as a wonder, as a signal sign, S-I-G-N-A-L signal to those around that God is in the room. And they can believe there is no record of anyone else being healed. Have you ever thought about that? Now, that doesn't mean no one else was. It could be that several people saw what happened and said, Jesus, over here. But the Bible doesn't say that. We have to believe God. We must be, you know, last night in our men's fellowship, we had a wonderful, uh, Carl brought us a, really good teaching from the, from the, from the book. And one of the, the, the whole thing, you know, uh, it talked about Balaam and all of the, you know, stuff like, and, and, uh, you know, when you read the story of Balaam, it's like, what in the world's going on with this? And the author explained that Balaam's heart was wrong. And we've all been there where we really know what God's saying to us, but we don't like it. And we really want something else. And so we try to do some sort of faithful workaround. There is no such thing. That's Phariseeism. Where you do a workaround and you can claim righteousness in the middle of it. But the fact is, you know that you knew that you knew that you knew that you knew. Man, I'm telling you, our walk with God comes down to our individual relationship with Him. And in Zechariah 14.17. I want you to think about this. Take this and apply it to our current subject. And this is about the, 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 the millennium. And it will be. That whichever of the families of the earth. Does not go up to Jerusalem. To worship the king. Yahweh Sabbat. Yahweh of hosts. There will be no rain on them. If you reject God. His rain will not fall on you. It's as simple as that. Worship. Wanting to do. I had a conversation with a young man this this very morning. And he was saying, I don't understand why God has me going this way. I just, you know. And I said, no, God needs you in there. Well, why would God need me? It's such a mess. I said, God needs you because it's a mess. Turn to somebody and say, you also are salt. God sends salt into rotten places and he sends light into dark places. And he said, well, why me? I said, because you really want to do the right thing in your heart. You want what God wants in your heart of hearts. And I said, I dare say that the percentage of people in the body of Christ in North America who are that consecrated to it and that sincere about it are in the single digit percentages That is a scary thought. Pastor, you're being rough on the body of Christ. I am. If you can't get but 8% of the people to tithe. Amen. Amen. Faith is action. It's not lip service. True worshipers are are doers of the word. And as long as the world around us I tell the story about 1999 on the 4th of July coming in for church and seeing at 730 in the morning the, the highway was busy the people are out on the little blue trace out here walking the trail and all that and the and the corner cafe was having you know their second service of the day and packed out and you know I said man. Look at all these people. It's the Fourth of July. It was a holiday, but it was a Sunday, and it was very warm, as Fourth of Julys tend to be. And I said, "Gosh, you know, aren't you know? None of the, they're obviously not on their way to church." And a few seconds later, the Spirit spoke to me and said, "I will not be ignored indefinitely." Now that's been twenty-three years ago. I understand that twenty-three years with God is a is a is an eyelash blink. And yes. I will confess to you that I think God moves way too slowly. But I have been assured by him the day will come when we will be saying, oh, God, please slow down. So, slow, slow, God, slow down, slow down, slow down. How many of you are looking forward to that? Yeah, we say that now. OK. Remember, we talked about the Gadarene demoniac on Sunday. How that. You know, the Lord had spoken to me while we were in Texas concerning what he's doing right now and what's about to happen. The Gadarene demoniac ran to Jesus, not away from him. This man had so many demons that they didn't even go by a name. They called themselves Legion. Thousands in there. And they were unable to keep him From running to the master. This guy wanted to be free. But could not set himself free. We live in a country. We live in a world. Where people are enslaved. To the same kind of uncleanness. We went to go back and listen to the message on Sunday. If you didn't hear it. But I detailed the things that it says about him. And how it applies perfectly. To our culture today. And they came. And he came and he fell at his feet. And Jesus set him completely free. That spirit of insanity left him. And we find when the people came out, they found him sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Can you even imagine this nation in its right mind? It's becoming difficult to visualize that. But they are often... I believe we're going to see it happen that people are going to it's, it's going to get so intense that they're going to begin to wake up and realize, you know what? Like the like the um, prodigal son in the pig pen. You know what? This isn't fun. You know what? I'm in trouble. You know what? I've got a problem. And I believe that's just the church because they will say, I'll go back to my father. The world doesn't even have a father or they do have a father, but it's not God and God will have his, we've been training to be in position we've been training to be faithful we've been training to trust him and if we're going to walk in the miracles we're going to need to worship we're going to get into that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I might just cut out here and preach God in his mercy when they really begin to cry out it's going to send someone to them turn to your neighbor and say I think he's talking about me 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6, this is talking about, I'm I'm entitled today, being in position and available. Being ready and available. You know, uh, how many of you have ever heard of the fire department? How many of you think it would be silly in a city the size of Kansas City or even Independence, To drive by the fire department and every single one of the ladder trucks, the towers, the uh, pumper trucks, the rescue units, the high pressure units, the quick response units, all of them. Let's just say that, you know, when I was on the fire department and worked for the fire department in Tulsa, we only had, I don't know how many stations they have now. I'm certain it's, it's much larger, but we had 32 stations. And 32 pumpers, you know, a bunch of ladders, a bunch of squads, which were manpower units, etc. How many of you think it' would be silly to have this gigantic building downtown with all 32 engines parked right there? No, they intentionally put the stations. At strategic locations around the city with the idea of being able to quickly respond to a need well guess what God is at least as smart as the fire department and having us in position individually and corporately is very very important because he knows where the people are going to start to squall and to cry out for him, and they're going to need somebody. Has to, somebody has to be in position to help them receive. In so doing, Second Timothy one six. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh. The gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. I know people who have been mildly used of God in the past who aren't even in church today. And they're not only not even in church, and they're not doing anything. It is possible to grow cold in the Lord. And it's up to us to keep the fire burning. It's up to us to... To keep the flames stoked, to blow on it, throwing wood on it, stirring the fire, build it bigger. Psalm 34, 3. Oh, magnify Yahweh with me. Let us exalt his name together. You know what? That is so much more uh, effective in trouble than the spirit of complaint. Ask me how I know. Psalm 69 and 30, I will praise the name of God with song and magnify him with thanksgiving. The reason we gather here, we we gather three times a week. One's a class, but I understand that. But we on Sunday morning and Wednesday evening, we gather and we worship. Why? We want to have an encounter with God. Well, I can have an encounter with God at home. Yes, you can. And in fact, you should be. But there is a special promise of Jesus, of a special presence when we come together. And what does he say? Oh, magnify Yahweh with me. Well, and then uh, that was Psalm 34, 3, 69, 30, I will praise the name of God and magnify him. What do you do when you, make some, when you magnify something? You make it bigger. When I was a kid, you could take a magnifying glass and make the ant bigger. And if it's daytime, then you could fry him. <laughs> I'm just being transparent there. Um, and so, when you magnify God, the challenges get smaller. I mean, if you follow me, singing praise and thankful to Him and thankfulness bring His presence. And his power, I remember the story, I can't remember, was it Lillian B. Owens? I can't remember who it was. Talking about a missionary to Panama back when smallpox, they still didn't have a vaccination for smallpox. And she was in the hospital, if you want to call it that, with smallpox. And it wasn't looking good. Smallpox killed people. It didn't just leave marks on them. And... She was praying and asking God to heal her. And she saw in the spirit, God showed her a a balance scales. And in the one side, heavy were requests. And in the other side, very lightly loaded, was praises. And she took that to, to, to mean that as she continued to praise him, that it would even... And so she praised him for two straight days. Just giving him glory. Just giving him praise. Hallelujah. And she was healed of every single pocket. It was all gone. Didn't even leave any scars. Hallelujah. I think there's a, I think obviously there's a lesson in there or I wouldn't even have mentioned it. We see in 2nd Kings chapter 3 and 14 and 15 when Elisha was brought to uh, the king of Israel, the king of Edom and the king of Israel of Israel and they said you know the you know we're, our army is going to we're going to die of thirst he's given us into the hand of Moab we're all going to die and they said and so Jehoshaphat says well is there not a prophet of Yahweh there were plenty of prophets of the land but there was one prophet of Yahweh Elisha and they called him and he said you know they asked him what do we do? And verses 14 and 15. New American Standard. Elisha said, As Yahweh of hosts lives before whom I stand, if it, if, I, if it would not that I regard the presence of Yehoshaphat, the king of Yehudah, I would not look at you or see you. I want you to think about that statement. We just said, no faith, no response. There were two godless kings, pagan kings, including the king of Israel, sitting there. But Jehoshaphat was a man of faith. And so, and he looks at him. And he says, and, "And this isn't Elisha making the, the the distinction. This is the Holy Spirit making the distinction through him." He said, "If it weren't for Jehoshaphat, I wouldn't even give you the time of day. But now, bring me a magician. Bring me a musician." Bring me a minstrel. And it came about that when the minstrel played, the hand of Yahweh came upon him. The hand of the Lord came upon him. Folks, when we gather and we worship like we did a little while ago, and hopefully we are worshiping and not just praising. We're not staying in the outer court because we don't want to come all the way in. We're worshiping. We can expect the hand of the Lord to show up. Second Chronicles 20 and 20, when the entire world, it seemed like, came out against Judah. And they said, oh God, we have no strength against this multitude. I mean, you're talking about the sons of Ammon, Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, that's Edom, who had come out against Judah. And God said, the battle is not yours, but it's mine. And you go out tomorrow by the, you know, the ascent of Z's, you know, and so and so and who went first? The singers. I'm sure they were thrilled about that idea. You know, the devil's probably right on their shoulders saying archers, 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 you're going first, you know, amen. And so they're going out singing, bless, you know, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, you know, praise ye the Lord. His mercy endures forever and ever. Praise ye the Lord. And they're going out there singing. And what does it say? You know, uh, and, and so when they began singing and praising, when they began singing and praising, when they began, you see, when they came out of Egypt, they did the singing and praising after they crossed in the New Testament. We do it before the waters part. And Yahweh set ambushes against the sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who had come out against Judah, and they were routed. I'm preaching myself happy. But the power, you know, one of the things that the enemy wishes to do, and he has been hyper successful at this, is to try to convince the church that the way we live our lives, and make no mistake, I am not about works righteousness. I don't believe you can make God love you any more or any less than He does. Me walking in righteousness and uprightness and integrity and faith does not make God love me one bit more than if I was super carnal, or even a sinner for that matter. But I can tell you what it does do is it causes him to be more pleased with me and puts me in position to be used by him. Uh, it says in Matthew 24, 12, Jesus said, Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will become cold. If we begin to walk in that hyper grace thing that's out there what do we do we become self-centered we become it's and we just sang it a little while ago let me change it for you it's all about me a lot of preachings that way and increasing we see that increasingly prominent division in our nation as that self-centered spirit is truly in control, and all of the bickering and all of the fussing and, and the strident complaining. And James 3, 13 through 18, listen to this. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show his good by his good behavior his deeds of gentleness in wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth this is this wisdom is not that which comes down from above but it is earthly it is natural the word translated natural by the way is the, in greek is the word soulish demonic when it says wisdom well that isn't wisdom no he said this way of living that's what he meant by the use of the wisdom the wisdom of the world you know is demonic for where jealousy And selfish ambition exist. Turn to somebody and say, which is about everywhere. There is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom, which is from above, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Look at the contrast between lawlessness right there and love. Psalm 133, one of the most famous ones on this, is, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head. Anointing. Coming down upon the beard. Even Aaron's beard. Why is he talking about the beard? Because it symbolizes maturity. Coming down upon the edge of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon. Coming down from upon the mountains of Zion. For there Yahweh commanded the blessing. Life forevermore. The precious oil oil, the precious anointing. We are all called Mashiachs. We're all little Christ. We are Christians. Amen. I want you to think about this. Well, you know, we're talking about love. You know, when you're mad at your neighbor, you're probably not praying for him. Maybe you are. And if you are, you're exceptional. And when you when they've done something to injure you and, you know, Poisoned your dog or stole your car or, you know, taken your wife. And then you need to play that country and western music backwards and get all those things back. No. And you say, let me pray for you. That is an unusual response. You don't sit here much today. Mark chapter 1 verses 40 through 42 And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion. Moved with what? Compassion. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing. Be cleansed. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. What a difference it is to wake up in the morning and go out into the world saying, Lord, show me somebody I can help show me somebody i can bless show me somebody and the lord might show you somebody with whom you thoroughly disagree or maybe you don't like them i was sitting at a, a at, once in a while you see something that's just so unique it gets your attention and i was pulled up to a, an intersection here in the area and there was a guy begging you know you know for money and he and usually they'll have some sign with this long story or you know you know, something like that. This guy would come walking down. He had a little sign about this big. And he was walking down, you know, and he wasn't, you know how most people do, they'll look straight ahead, don't make eye contact, you know, kind of thing. And don't, don't give him any hope. And this guy was holding this little sign and I looked and I saw that sign. You know what it said on it? 25 cents. It said 25 cents. I thought, now, he's, wow. And there was just something about that that got my attention. So I I thought, do I have any change? And I reached in my pocket and there was probably 75 cents worth of change in my pocket. I rolled down my window. I said, that is a unique approach, brother. He goes, thank you. And I gave him, now, there was like four or five cars. Well, hear me. There's like four or five of us sitting there. I think we were getting off the interstate over here. I'm pretty sure that was where it was. And there's a bunch of cars behind me, and there's two cars in front of me. Well, the two cars in front of me, he walked, cruised right past them, and nothing. And I saw that and I went, you know what? You know, do I have any? I do. And so I rolled down my and he comes walking over. I draw, and then I watched in the rear view mirror because this is independence and the lights are horrible. And I watched in the rearview mirror as the people after me, one after another, did something for me. They saw me do it and they followed. Won't that be awesome when the world is following us as we follow Jesus? Amen. And it only cost me 75 cents. I mean, come on. One time there was a guy over here, Quick Trip, just sitting. He, had his, he was out in the parking lot and he had his phone plugged into one of the little plugs that's in one of the light standards there and everything. And Liam was with me and I, I walked around and, you know, I just had a tickle. You know, you, you got to learn to pay attention. We're going to talk about that because with the gifts of the Spirit, sometimes it's like, it you know, particularly with the gift of faith, it can be very, very clear. But sometimes, particularly in a word of knowledge or something like that, it can be so slight that if you aren't, if your heart isn't tender, if you're not really listening you can miss it you really can and sometimes I have had some of the coolest stuff happen based on it It just felt like a hunch you know and having our hearts tenderized toward God is so important and this guy was sitting there and I and so I walked around you know we first of all we went in and we got whatever we were getting and we came back out and i got bub back and he always wants to go in quick trip you know someplace i'll say you want to go in No, i'll wait like this but when it's quick trip i'm going into kick tip so he's ready to go in he likes to walk around and i think it's because of the candy you know they have airheads and all that stuff there and he, he and you know what he knows exactly in the store where it is and uh Quick Trip was very smart when they built all their same generation stores with everything in the same place. All the little kids run in and know exactly where to go. And so we went and got whatever it is we were getting. And we came out. And I was strapping him in. And I said, just a minute, buddy. Like that. And I had, while I was in the, the, the store, I'd pulled a bill out of my wallet. And I walked up to the guy. And I said, um, Hey, man, have you been eating regularly? And he said, it's not too bad. And I said, well, here, let me buy it. Let me buy your lunch. He said, well, thank you. He didn't even ask for anything. He wasn't sitting there asking for anything. And then I didn't anymore and turn and start to walk away. But apparently somebody else had seen me do that. And this young woman, probably I'm going to say she was 21 or 22, comes walking up and hands him some money and said, God bless you. Everybody say amen. We're called to lead. I'm telling you. All right. Um, you know, when he, he Jesus is looking at this leper and if you understand leprosy and it says, you know, one of the Gospels, I believe it says he was full of leprosy. Um, meaning that he was in an advanced case. It stinks. It has a stench, the rotting flesh. It is grotesque to the to sight. This guy was pushing it, pushing the boundary by walking up to a rabbi and even talking to him, getting close. Because they were required by the law to walk and put their hand over their lip and cry out, unclean, 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 so that people wouldn't get near to them. Some got, Leprosy, of course, is a bacterial thing, but it, it, some of it is communicable, some of it is not. But Jesus being moved with compassion and, and uh, Jesus being moved moved with compassion Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said I am willing to be cleansed and immediately his leprosy left him. One of the things you can't see in this is the, the Greek word that it was a participle and the word Splanknizomai, literally, and it's it's very inelegantly translated. Compassion splanknizomai is obviously uh, uh, often translated in the New, in the King James version, uh, bowels, because it literally means to have a gut reaction. And remember what Jesus said out of his, you know, he who believes in me out of his what innermost believe, being. His coelia shall flow rivers of living water. Jesus was moved in his spirit. That's the Holy Spirit moving upon him. That is the compassion of the Father. It isn't pity. Pity will say, oh, that's horrible, and do nothing. Empathy will say, brother, I feel your pain. But that... Compassion. Now, what if that compassion of God is rising up out of my spirit and it goes bang into a hard head? Opinionated, judgmental. Ew. Matthew chapter 9, verse 10. Then it happened as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, what is your, Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard it, he said, Well, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire compassion. There is that word. And not sacrifice. I didn't come to call the righteous. Mercy triumphing over judgment, to quote James. Which is real tough to remember nowadays. I mean, as we get I mean, we're entering election season and you turn on the T V and the attack ads are just blah. You know, I had I was having my tires rotated today and I was a little over 30 minutes sitting in the waiting room and they had the TV on there and I actually went into the restroom just to get away from it for a, for a couple of minutes. I said, man, I wish I didn't have it you know, like this. And, it, and the funny thing of it is, they have one candidate pounding on another candidate for a solid minute and in the next minute, the other candidate's pounding back on that candidate. Jesus speaks of genuine concern for others. Not just the socially nice, I'll be praying for you. Miracles occur through obedient vessels, vessels of honor. God always, as we'll see, or, om- well, pretty much always, requires an act of faith on the part of that vessel, even the working of miracles in manifestation. The recipient of the manifestation or of the gift. May not be in faith. The man of the pool of Bethesda is a perfect example. But the vessel must be. The one through whom God is flowing must be. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22. Two, 20 through 22. Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels. But also vessels of wood and earthenware. Some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore if anyone cleanses himself of these things talking about the sins of the flesh you can back up and read it he will be a vessel for honor listen to this sanctified useful to the master prepared for every good work today we're told God doesn't by many circles that God doesn't care a whit about any of those things and yet under the inspiration of the spirit Paul is telling his protege God certainly does. And that my desire to walk uprightly before God is a real crucial part of God being able to use me. It doesn't have anything to do with His willingness. It has to do... Because, you know, let's just face it. If I read the scripture like that or others, like where Paul says stop sinning to the Corinthians and I read that I've got a choice I can either believe that that's God talking to me or I can say well that's not for today and I can do the fair sake work around and when Paul says that the reason he says that is because he knows that if under the inspiration of the spirit he knows that if I reject the word of God that is Is unbelief pure and simple? If the word we were talking about it last night, well, it's easier to get forgiveness than it is permission. That is an attitude of unbelief. It's as simple as that. And unbelief will not. Well, it just doesn't produce the righteousness, the fruit, the power of God. I want you to think of some examples. Of people who had to, you know, we're still talking about the gifts of the Spirit. You know, whenever God gives you something, it's for you to do something, something with it. It isn't just so that you can be cooler than all the other kids. Luke five four, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. In John twenty one six, post resurrection. Throw out the net on the right-hand side of the boat. It didn't seem smart either way. Seasoned fishermen knew that you don't catch fish in the Sea of Galilee, which is perfectly clear by throwing out a net in the daytime. The fish are smart enough to see it and flee. Nonetheless, how about Matthew 17, 27? The poll tax. Does your master pay the, uh, the two drachma tax? And he says, Yes. I think. Then goes in and Jesus, before Peter even got to talk to him, he said, From whom do the sons of uh, the earth uh, uh, exact t- uh, custom and toll? From strangers or from sons? He said, Well, I guess from strangers. He says, Therefore the sons are exempt, right? In other words, we shouldn't be paying this. And he said, Right. And he said, Nevertheless, lest we give them offense, go down to the ocean and throw in a hook. Peter, do you know anything about fishing? And take the first fish that comes up. Now, we can demonstrably prove without question that Jesus' treasury had sufficient, more than sufficient resources to pay this tax. But under the inspiration of the Father, God decided he wanted to teach Peter something here and he pulled up the first fish that came in its mouth. Was They called it a stater and like that. But it was exactly the amount of money he needed to pay for Peter and for Jesus. How about the widow of Sarephat in the midst of a famine? Elijah has been up at the brook Karit eating, drinking from the brook and eating Whatever food the dirty birds were bringing him. We don't know how long that lasts, except that finally the brook dried up and the Spirit said to him, Go down to Zarephath, you know, and there I've appointed a, a widow there, which is, by the way, it was in the Sidonian region. It wasn't even Israel. This woman was a Gentile. She had knowledge of Yahweh, but I don't know if you'd call her a believer or not. But she knew apparently who Elijah was. Elijah did have apparently a rather unique appearance. And she's out collecting sticks and he says, bring me a little drink of water. She said, "Okay, I can do that. And he said, also, you know, you know, a little something to eat. And she said, as Yahweh your God lives, I'm just out here gathering a few sticks Because all we've got is a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour and we're going to make a tortilla and we're going to eat it and die. And as you've heard me say, times without number, there's a plan. And so, Elijah, who of course is a preacher, says, give me your last tortilla. Then you can eat, you and a son can can eat afterwards. Well, she had to believe that. She had to act on that in order for it to happen. Uh, Elisha, his successor, and the woman who knocks on the door and says, you know, your servant, my husband is dead and the creditors have come, you know, mastercard and visa have come to take away my sons into indentured servitude to pay off the debt. Well, he said, what have you got in your house? I don't have anything except a little jar of oil. All right, this is what I want you to do. And we know what... They had to act on that. Second Kings 6, 4-7, through seven, we see how that they were building, getting ready to build a building. And they're out, you know, felling trees. And the axe head came off of the axe and went out into the middle of the deep part of the river. Now, you and I don't think of that as a big deal because we just go down to Ace Hardware and buy another axe. Or over to Home Depot or Lowe's. I want to get in all the, you know, the home yeah, nards over here. Whatever you know, and buy another X. But back then, that was a high-tech piece of equipment. That's kind of like the equivalent of throwing your MacBook Pro out in the middle of the water. And he goes, alas, master, for it was borrowed. In other words, I'm going to have to go into indentured servitude. I'm going to have to work that off. So what does he do? He takes a stick and throws it in the water, and the iron floated. That is working of miracles. If our musicians would come. Throwing out the net on the right side of the deep water, you know, in the deep water in the daytime. You you know, if if you're fishing over here in Truman or Blue Springs or Lake of the Ozarks or Smithville or wherever it is you go, don't expect to just go out in your boat and throw the net over the right hand side and get up a boat sinking net breaking load of fish because it was a miracle everybody say amen you can go out here into Blue Springs Lake don't just throw in a stick and expect all the stuff to come up if it does I have two anchors at the bottom of that lake could you bring those to me I'm still missing them oh that's a sinking feeling no pun intended. <laughs> that was a dad joke. <laughs> okay, I'm, a, I'm you know. We've got to be sensitive. We've got to be in position to hear. The story, I, re- I read a testimony by a youth pastor. They were in a, and I've told this before, but I've told all but three of my stories before. When, um, when uh, they were, you know, two churches, or youth groups are playing each other in a softball game. And then like, Apparently, unlike some church softball games, uh, everybody was actually acting like a believer. And one kid was sliding into, you know, like third base or something and got his, I don't know if he was wearing cleats or what, but he got his ankle caught, funny, broke his ankle. And when he went to, you know, he's like, ah, like this. And this is a church that believes in, both groups believe in healing. So they gather around him. And they're going to pray for him. And so they pray for him. You know. And see if it feels any better. Like that. No. Ow. Ow. No. And it's swelling up and all this. So they do that two or three times. And finally. The youth pastor standing there, And they're praying in the spirit. And they're listening to God like that. And he said. I see it. I know what we did. Now here comes word of knowledge. He knows what to do. Or word of wisdom actually. They know what to do. He said. Once we pray for you. You just stand up on it. But it's going to just stand up on it. They prayed. They believed they received. He stood up on it. Perfectly healed. Instantly. That's that sensitivity. To the Holy Spirit. You know. When Lazarus died. It says Jesus stayed. A couple more days in that place. And. Jesus wasn't just chillax in there he was listening we've got to be you know. He, what, what, God what do you want done we've got to be sensitive we've got to be in position to hear him in fact what does it say in Colossians 4 2? devote yourselves to prayer keeping alert in it by means of an attitude of thanksgiving complaint does not make me alert to what the spirit is doing thankfulness does Amen This would mean that I got to be mindful of what I watch, what I read, what to what I listen. What does Paul say in Ephesians 4:30 and 31? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Wow. Yes, it is possible to grieve the Spirit of God. I don't think that's a good place to be. In fact, I'm sure it's not. Why? Because I know I've done it. Grieving the Spirit of God. Then he goes on to say this. very next verse. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. All mean intent toward anybody. Be kind to one another. Tender hearted forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. As we walk in love, as we walk in mercy, as we walk in thankfulness to God, that does some and in obedience, that puts us in position To be used of the Lord. Now, that said, we cannot make the Spirit move. It is all as He wills. I cannot manufacture a word of wisdom. I cannot manufacture a word of knowledge. I cannot manufacture working of miracles. I can receive miracles by faith. But when it comes to the miraculous, it's all up to Him. And His timing. I'm going to go back to where we started. From the days of John the Baptist... Until now, the kingdom has been forcefully advancing. Before the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom was advancing, but there was an acceleration when John the Baptist came on the scene. And it says of John the Baptist, when he was growing up, the child grew strong in the Spirit. That is what we need to be doing, growing stronger, and stronger and stronger in the Spirit, being worshippers of God, being obedient, walking with Him with one ear, cocked toward heaven, because God wants to use us even now, but as it accelerates it's going to become more and more and more frequent, more commonplace, and I for one, am beyond ready the world isn't but when the time is in the fullness of time, God will do exactly what He promised He'll do. Let's all stand. Those of you watching by web, God bless you. Thank you for joining us this evening or this afternoon or this morning, whenever it is, whatever time it is that you watch this. And I want to encourage you that if you do not know Jesus Christ of Nazareth as your Lord and Savior, there is no better time to embrace Him as Lord than right now. Right now, if you will pray, Father God, in the name of Jesus, I believe with my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. You will be born again. You will go from death, pass from death into life. You will move from underneath the enemy's boot into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. And God will welcome you with open arms because He says, "All who come to Me, I will in no wise cast out." That demoniac was infamous throughout. The one to whom I referred out of Luke eight earlier, that demoniac was famous. He was naked when he ran up to Jesus. He would cut himself. He would howl. He would he would attack people. He he he. he he, what a horrible, and all of that was sexual and and things that got him in that shape as the enemy just moved in and took over more and more and more of his personality. And yet, the Father accepted him. Jesus accepted him and set him free with a word. Praise God. God will not cast you out. Believer, if you're a Christian and you are not full on involved in church in ministry and in serving the Lord with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, and all of your strength. This is the time. This is the time. I'm I'm certain in the days to come, our Father's gonna motivate lukewarm Christians. And I'm not saying you're lukewarm. I'm just saying, now's the time to get in, all in. Not nibbling around the edges, not stirring it with our finger but being full on for God. Amen. Great things are ahead. Praise God. We hope this message has been a great blessing to you and has helped build your faith in Jesus. We encourage you to visit our app, Independence Christian Center, on your cell phone available from the Apple App Store or Android, Google Play. You can also find us on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, YouTube, and Facebook. Again, under Independence Christian Center or at our website, iccfamily, all one word, dot O-R-G, iccfamily.org. Our heart's desire here is to labor with the Lord in building His body. Until next time, may God's very best be yours.